When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. It's my privilege to welcome Jim Jeffries. Thank you. Hello. How are you? Now, Jim, uh, let me just a couple of bits of business. JimJeffries.com. The Twitter is at Jim Jeffries, J-E-F-F-E-R-I-E-S. Yes, there's another guy who says Jim Jeffries the other way. He's got 14,000 followers. Nice. Well, I don't mind as long as he doesn't slag off other comedians, which he does from time to time it, as me. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. So here, you and I have known each other for a little while. Mm-hmm. I've, been a, I've been a fan of your comedy. You've been in love with it a number of times. What I've learned about you, just even talking to you today, and certainly from watching the show, is there is a level of sensitivity that you have about yourself and people coming from somewhere. Right. What is that? Um, what, what do you mean? People are born a certain way, I guess. No, I mean, you're a very, very sensitive person. I, I think you go. I think you spend a whole career not showing that. I I I I suffer from depression. I don't know if that makes you um, sensitive, but I I, I if am somebody fairly... said Jim Jeffries, uh, and then I went, yeah, he uh, does a service at a camp for disabled kids. They'd go, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I, I don't need more. Not since I've, I've just, made money. I, but I'm <laughs> right. No, I do. That's, I, that's I, right there is what I'm talking about. I, I still I try to do charity gigs and stuff like that. We we try, but I, you I do it to, not because it's the right thing to do. Only you do it because you feel something for people who I, have I, disabilities. I, I feel. Yeah, I I don't know why I have a connection towards people with disabilities. I think it's it's. Uh, I I I thank my parents in a way for that. My mother and father would make us. Um, Oh, not every Christmas, but on many Christmases. And it was almost, always my most hated bit of Christmas. Uh, now, as an adult, I look back on it a lot more fondly. But my mother and father would make us go down um, and give presents to, to kids with Down syndrome in this home uh, on Christmas Day. Yeah. And it was I think it was important for my mother that we had some, uh, I don't perspective. know. Perspective. Perspective, yeah. yeah. And now I look at my son in the same way. I think... How old is your son? My son's uh, about to be four months old. Yeah. And he's growing up in a big house and all these things. And I, I keep on looking at him for ways, even now, and obviously there's nothing that's coming into play yet, but I mean, I look at him like, how can I make his life a little bit more shit so he has a little bit more humility because his life isn't going to be monetary-wise shit and it's, you know, me and his girlfriend, my girlfriend are both love him very much so there's not going to be any lack of love or anything like that. Um, And so I just, my, my mother used to take us down to factories when we were little kids in our summer holiday and make us watch people putting caps on just that repetitive thing in a factory. And she'd whisper in your ear, over the course of hours, she'd whisper in your ear, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't work hard. Fascinating. You know what I mean? And and so I still have a feeling now that everything can be taken away from me constantly. 
and and I feel if is, is if you try to give back or you try to do good things or whatever like that, that will somehow uh, make your your soul feel better. And, and it's not really the answer to it. You know, you got to be happy in yourself and all that type of stuff. But I feel that that doing charity work and stuff like that does actually give you a, a little bit of a pass at times to be a jerk on stage or to. <laughs> <laughs> how did you get to uh, my daughter's texting me while we're on the air here mm-hmm. uh how did you get to comedy from from bottle caps to comedy was that I, was that I you immediately started thinking creatively i've got to do something other than this i i was see this is the thing i did the same university course that hugh jackman did which was what which was musical theater at the same university again, again. If I mention Jim Jeffrey as a musical theater in the same sentence, people go, huh? And I, I wasn't quite passing music. I said, yeah, yeah, Jim Jeffrey was, uh, made a great tavia I was, in, I was 2009. I was a very good singer. I wasn't passing tap. <laughs> and so I had to expand my units out slightly. So I focused on what I was good at rather than what I liked. I liked musical theater. I focused on what I was good at, which was the singing. And I tried to complete the course in the opera department. Opera. And I sang for the Australian Opera twice. What did you sing? In the chorus. I was course. in Charles Gounod's Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. in the chorus. And I was in um, uh, Wagner's The Flying Dutchman. Oh, my God. In, in the chorus. And and so my my best friend is a guy called Andrew Moran. And he's a, a professional lead in the Australian Opera to this day. And, and we, But uh, Hugh Jackman was the guy. He graduated about five years before I'd gotten there. And they... At that stage, I think he was singing Curly in um, Oklahoma in the West End, you know, just before he got in. uh, There's a story that he got um, the X-Men because he had big mutton chops because he was playing Curly at that stage, right, when he went in for the audition. But um, he wasn't a movie star. He was a musical theater star. And even then, the the teachers were like, oh, when Hugh was here, oh, you've never seen anything like And I was like, I hope uh, there was a bit of, I hope this fucking guy's career falls a bit because I'm <laughs> sick and tired of hearing about fucking Hugh Jackman, right? And then the next year, now he's become what he's become and good luck to him. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting to me. I think of the people that I know that like musical theater you, I can name on one hand, uh, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane likes me. it, yeah. Yeah, I love him. I'm into it. Uh, my son studies it and stuff. There was somebody else I was thinking is very into it also. But if people you don't expect it's, at all. Um, so what is it? Larry we, David loves it. What, what is it that He we, knows every word to West Side Story. Why, as, why? As why do. do we like that? What is it? I, I, I think it's something – I think it will die out a little bit more now. But when I was young – we had four channels of TV, and Australia was very late into the cable game, right? And I had to watch whatever. So it was either I was watching cricket or with my dad, or on Sunday they would show old movies in the middle of the day on a regular channel, like an NBC would right. show an old movie right. in the middle of the day. And so I'd watch them with my mother. There wasn't a choice. Now, all those films get shown now on TNT Classics. Yeah. But kids aren't tuning into that. So I saw every every Abin Costello, every Laurel and Hardy, every Mar and Park Kettle, all those films. But then I also saw Calamity Jane about ten times. Um, I, I you know I also I also grew up on the sound of music and all that type of stuff. But we, we would we would watch the Hello Dolly, you yeah. know, watch watch Michael Crawford before he went on to become you know fan of the opera and everything like that. And then a comic genius in some others do have him and all that type of stuff. Are physically as good as Michael Richards playing Kramer. He was. 
and and so I I had a healthy respect for these these guys and girls who you know Doris Day and all that um, just through watching it as a kid and then my my mother would take us to Australia in in Sydney especially always has one musical running sort of like LA does. So you've got New York where they're all running at once, and then LA has we've got Wicked for the month. Right. At the moment we've got I think Backbeat or something that something, yeah. And whenever one would come in, we would see, and it would always be an Android Weber or a whatever. And so I sort of enjoyed all that, and then I did the school musicals, and for a few reasons, if you're an idiot who thinks it's gay to be in a school musical, then you're not doing the math. Right, because all the girls are there. Nine girls <laughs> to every one guy. You're getting time off class. You get to dance holding a girl. Like if you're an awkward fourteen, you know what I mean. The girls it, like you singing too. They the girls in the audience love it when you I, sing. Yeah? I didn't know I could sing or anything like that. And then I started doing the school musicals. I, I got the lead role and everything. And, and, and uh, a, a talent scout from the Australian Opera wanted to put me in a young people's program like that. And this is like fifteen this years is as old as a singer. As a singer, fifteen mm-hmm. years old, and then. I went off and studied university. They call it WAPA, the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts. So it was the other side of the country, which I was over the moon about going to university and on scholarship as well. And then by the time I got to the end of my um, thing, I, couldn't see, I was a tenor. I couldn't hit the notes anymore and stuff like that. And so they, they scraped the nodules off and they're like, okay, well, you've got to be quiet for a couple of months. And I'd already start, I'd done like five open spots in comedy. And I remember thinking, all right, well, if I can't sing – then I'll become a comic. And I wanted to be a comic from the time I was 10. But so, so there's no regret about Oh, no, no. Comedy. The comedy is the job I wanted. Right, right. But singing was the job that I could get into university with. Also the job that my parents went, Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. that. When I said I'm becoming a comic, I didn't. I was two or three months of finishing university. I'd never finished. And I said, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to be a, a comedian now because I sang for the Australian Opera in my summer holidays mm. when they had a production in between. And and then it was it was uh, my mother was um, not very happy about that. But now, arguably, I'm the biggest Australian comedian in the world. Yeah. And it's does she is she, she proud of that? Does well, she, she hear your humor? She does she know? She doesn't know that. Does she know the kind of humor you do? She knows the kind. Of, she watches it, but she doesn't know that I have my own t- my, me having my own TV show doesn't resonate unless it's on an Australian TV. I would think though that having a, a show on in the United States would be a big deal for yeah, your but, mom. But this is the thing. She goes, "Is it cable?" Oh. oh. Right, cuz cable in Australia oh, is yeah. repeats of friends. It's just they don't make original programming. Right, it's a right. country of 20 million people. There's no point in doing that. Right, right. We just buy shit from America and then, you know, hopefully if it goes two seasons they'll sell it off to um, Australia, and then she can watch it then. But I, I tell you what, I did Good Morning Australia or Mornings Australia or something, a live telecast the other day where they asked me to talk about the Oscars and stuff because they just wanted an Australian in Hollywood. And so I was on morning TV in between infomercials for about four minutes, and my mum hasn't stopped. She loves that. Oh, my. That was so good. And I'm like, I've made fucking 13 episodes that I wrote. Right, that, but it doesn't. It doesn't. No, doesn't, doesn't not yeah. yet. No, it, well, they will one day. I'm sure. Yeah. Relationships now. You have a girlfriend and a baby. I have a girlfriend and a baby. Yeah. How's it going? Um, it, you know, great. It's we we um we conceived a child very early in our relationship, so there was still a lot of getting to know each other and stuff like that. And um, also, when you've been with someone for four months and then you spend nine months of them being pregnant, you see uh, 
Wow. I would have liked a couple of years of, of not being told off before I, I was cried at a lot for nine months, you know. But then it, it all died down and and I don't know if, if postnatal depression happens to everybody and I don't think it's happened it's as very such. Common. I don't think it's happened as such to my girlfriend, but I do notice a sense of they dig their heels in a bit more stress than than probably a rational person would have at times. Well they're they're vulnerable and they're trying to Raise a life. Yeah, exactly. And we, but the we love this kid, man. We this like, Do I you have a picture you guys can put up of the baby. I yeah, I, I saw a picture uh, online that I can. I do got that. I got plenty of pictures. Yeah, well, he'll download but, something. But for the, you. the 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 thing is, um, it, it's it's I, I've I've never experienced like I love him, but I've never experienced the love when I see her looking at him. Like oh, yeah. she just. Is crazy, crazy about him. Oh my God, is he cute? Yeah, yeah. He, oh, and, and the thing this is, this picture must go up. The thing is, he looks. There's a picture of me, my girlfriend. She must have some time on her hands, because my girlfriend put a picture of me as a baby and him as a baby next to it, just to prove that it's definitely mine. Oh, that's cute. You know, that's amazing. <laughs> but it's 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 that little thing when you have a baby. Where now we're applauding, basically bullshit activities. The baby's bullshit activities? Like him grabbing at something. Yeah. Ah! And I'm right there just grandstanding, man. And then if he he's now, he's meant to be rolling and he's not quite, he's like, it's meant to be happening any day now. Yeah. And the problem I have is that he just likes to sit and push himself up. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't think he wants to roll. He hasn't figured out that he wants to. I think he physically can do it. Yeah. Some kids start scooting and doing other stuff yeah, in yeah. different orders. And it doesn't have to go all the way to the book. But, but my girlfriend's so interneted up with, well, it's, yeah. it's, it's three months and two weeks. This is the rolling week. And everything else has happened exactly as they said it would. Like he started grabbing different textures, da, 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 his vision, he found his hands and all that type of stuff. But it's uh, it's 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 very odd. And and to watch my parents go from bothering me on a uh, every two days to not even wanting to talk to me is they just want to put the baby on Skype and just go hello, hello, hello for an hour. Are they going to come visit? Uh, my mother's too large to get on a plane. She got deep vein thrombosis on a boat, so oh. there's no more flying for her. Uh, where I'm doing a tour of Australia in May. Um, yeah, my mum always gets into me about she wants to come to the shows. I don't like her in the audience because I get it must I freak to, you out. I sweat and I just because I your humor is not savory. It's not for mums. Not no. for mums. My dad, not for your mum. Anyway. My my dad enjoys it. And he yeah. comes and also my dad can you can take the piss out of my dad and he can laugh it off. If that, that take the piss out of somebody is a British term for joke with. Joke with, yeah. You can tease or yeah, yeah. And my mother d- doesn't like it as much. And what did uh, your dad do for a living? My father's uh, he he was he was a carpenter. So I'm the son of a carpenter. I you have like siblings? to remind people of that. I have two older you, brothers. Like you and Jesus, is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. Like. <laughs> my, my 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 my. I have two older brothers, but my father was a carpenter um, up until maybe the last five or six years of his working life, and then he worked as a maintenance man at the local girls' school, mm. the, pri- the, the private girls' school, which was where all the good-looking birds went, which made it harder for me to get laid because my father was a maintenance man there. Nice. Which, uh, which now I look back on with a bit of a fuck-you attitude, but at the time, at 15, 16 maybe, it was, just I was a bit more embarrassed. And my mother was a school teacher at my school. Was she the one pushing the education? 
Well, the education wise, we were never book smart anyway. I think my mu- I th- I think I was wrongly diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. I pers- you were diagnosed with it, or you w- should have been diagnosed. No, with, with it. it. You were diagnosed with it. Yeah. Did they treat you? A lot of Ritalin. Ugh. My whole childhood was Ritalin. Like to the extent that my mornings would be a glass of orange juice and a pill would be the first thing that I'd wake up to. Mm. And um, then I think my mother had, out of her three sons, me and my middle brother were what I would call spirited children. Yes. And I think that can sometimes be mistaken for ADD. ADD. I think we were just wild kids, you know. And I'm still sort of that way. My brother's still that way. My My brother is highly, highly successful and worth a lot of money. And even thinking of going into politics now because he's made enough money at age uh, 39 to pack it in and follow something that he'd like to do. What kind of business? Um, he developed uh, shopping centers. Wow. So you, know, you, property, you, you hear someone go, I'm a property developer. It means they're redoing a kitchen and selling on a house. Yeah. He did that with malls. Wow. Um, and uh, all through Hong Kong and all that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So, yeah, so international development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof. So he, he's a businessman. And, and also, and I know a lot of comics, one of the funniest people I've ever met. Funny, funny person. And uh, my other brother's a, a cop, and he's, he's, uh, he's a sergeant in the SWAT team. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, swinging through, busting up bikers. That's what he does. He goes after bikers in Sydney. Do they have opinions on your television show? Um, my middle brother, the property guy, he has been watching it um, illegally downloading it in Australia because he can't see it, and uh, he um, he loves it. Yeah, he but he also... Um, he rings up with a lot of different ideas on what he <laughs> gives you some notes. Yeah, like like this is what should happen. He's looking forward to. There used to be a game that me and my brother would play when we were young. Now John Ratzenberg comes in later on in the season. Yeah, and the reason we got John Ratzenberg is because me and me and my brother, whenever we saw John Ratzenberg in a movie, we'd always assume that that was a job that Cliff Clavin had before he became a mailman. Right, right. right. And we'd start doing an impersonation. This is how John got the part because, because me and my brother. So like, like, like John Ratzenberg's Captain Derlin in uh, Empire Strikes Back. He's got like four lines. He's in two of the Superman movies as different characters. He's the guy who drives Canis Bergen to see Gandhi in Gandhi. Oh, my God. Right? You guys are, like, monitoring his career. Well, you his entire career. It was just a game me and my brother played where it was like you get in the car and go, who hey, was he? let's uh, go see Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, see, you got to eat. He, he seems pretty thin to me. Right? And we would do this through every movie. Ah, oh, the Millennium Falcon. Oh, a lot of people say I can do the castle run in 12 parsecs. Oh, I'm not so sure. Right? So, so we would do this. And then when... I was when we'd write a script. Me and the guy I wrote it with, we would sit there and we'd do all the different characters and try to see how the dialogue flow by reading it. Whenever I did the father character, I always did it as Ratzenberg, and then I I sort of went, I said, maybe we should just ask if he'll do it. You know what I mean? I know he's making bazillions off his Pixar deals because he's in every Pixar movie, and he was great. He just came along and he's a nice guy. He's great. He's not far removed from Cliff. No, I know. Yeah, he's, L- he's a little more sort of a gun-toting. Kind oh of, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> where, there was there was a, there was a bit where we went uh, we went we went where we we're, we're at a, a party and there was a lot of I won't ruin it, but there's a party at the end of the series that involves a lot of disabled people and a lot of prostitutes, right? <laughs> 
And I won't say how that all gets together, but there's a party. And we all get up and we're giving speeches. And we just filmed it like, everyone get up and do a speech. We're going to cut like two seconds of everyone's speech in and do a little montage thing, right? So just try to say something. So I got up and said something. Dan Bacadell, who plays Steve in the show, he got up and said something. And then Ratzenberg gets up and goes, yeah, 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 prostitution. There's nothing wrong with prostitutes. There's a long history of hookers going all the way back to Mary Magdalene and ending with that pantsuit-wearing whore Hillary Clinton who knows she's a lesbian. And, and we're like, oh and everyone says, like, is John crossed over? Is he gone? Oh, my God. <laughs> do you air that? No. Oh, I was going to say. Like, wow. the, the first bit is in the show where, yeah, yeah. where he goes, there's nothing wrong with prostitutes is the only bit that's edited it in. But I was sitting there going, all right, this is where John is now. He, but he, he does little cliffisms with you. Like he'll be, you'll be sitting in makeup with him and he turns to you and goes, he turns to me one morning at 6 a.m. and goes, hey, you, uh, hey, Jesus had a dog called Tippy. Yeah, not a lot of people. Yeah, went him, took him for a walk, and <laughs> the poor thing drowned. <laughs> Tried to walk on water. Yeah. Like, what's he talking about? <laughs> this is like your 6 a.m. banter, and we're like, all right, John. But it's, it's, I, I, I have very varying views on guns to what he does, so I just don't bring it up because I really like the guy, so I don't – you know, it's like certain times when you meet people who are very religious, I try not to bring up atheism in front of them. I just, you know, live and let live for the most part. Um, I, I I am the type of person who does get into arguments, but I don't want to really start them, you know, especially at work. Especially if you like and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's also, I get that, that me being anti-gun in America really rubs people up the wrong way because of the accent as well because you don't know you don't <laughs> know the history yeah yeah you don't you don't know what it's like why don't you go home that that little thing and 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 as soon as you bring up like well it, gun control worked in australia we have statistics that there was a moment we had guns we stopped it we haven't had a massacre since australia is a good little test model that you can work off because we got rid of them in 1994 or three or something after the port arthur massacre and um and then they go, well, you know, this is a different thing. This country is built on. And then they just say a lot of stuff. And, and I know they get angry and I've lost a few fans over it. I don't know if I've gained any fans from it. but I, I think it's so woven into the fabric of the Constitution. Yeah. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. But also slavery was, you know, that was in the well, Constitution. No, well, no, that was that was in it as a compromise. Right. This was unanimous, like, number two, no, everyone right. gets a gun. Yeah, it's true. Like, first, it's, you can say what you want. Number two, you can shoot what you want. It's and, still called an, an amendment, and the word means to change. I, listen, you, you don't find me arguing with that's for sure, but I just think it's so woven. I think I think I love the idea of common sense. That I, at least, I, well, at my least. argument that I give is I don't mind as long as you just say to me, I really like guns. Don't give me the bullshit I have for protection because there's so many statistics that said it just doesn't work as home protection. It just doesn't work, right? You're yeah. more likely to be shot. And then you have these people who go, oh, uh, I keep them locked up in a safe. Then there's no protection. As someone who had a machete held to my head, you can't just go, wait there, fuck face, and you go over and you do the combination. And then you got the, like Oscar Pistorius, which I know is in a different country altogether, right? There's mistakes are made. Although I think he did it, but he's using the defense of a mistake now as, as you know, wh- why did that girl lock the bathroom door? 
if she was a if why would any why would you have to shoot through the door if it's a break in? Why would someone break in and go? All I want to do is steal soap and towels. I'm just ba- and some shampoo. Yeah, I'm just bathroom based in my criminal activity. No, uh, and uh, and listen, the whole issue of suicide and self inflicted gun gun wounds are not even discussed yet, and that's a, that's bigger than it's it's than al- it's also that then sometimes they use things like they go, well, there was a break in. And there was a woman, and she was in a. She she locked her and her kids into the wardrobe. Oh yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, and then someone, and then boom, problem solved. Really? Because we don't know first of all if that person was going to kill, kill anyone. There's probably just a break, and they probably weren't murderers. Most people aren't murderers, but most people are just junkies who want something, right? Mm-hmm. And and second of all, is problem solved? I'd like to see the psychiatric report for those children in a few years, when they've just watched their mother blow someone's brains out. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just know that it's very hard to get rid of guns, but I, I also know that a gun-free society is, is probably mentally and physically in better check than one that has guns, in my opinion. But it's, it's in Australia, the, the big difference was when, when – you know about Port Arthur? I, I've heard it referenced. I don't know what happened. It was a huge massacre where a, a guy who was what we would call – you call him a simpleton. He was a low IQ man. Um, he went out with a shotgun. Uh, uh, I think it was a rifle, actually. I'm not sure. But he killed over 30 people in a picnicking area. Mm. They were all out on blankets, and he just ran over the hill and just, just – and then he – it, it was at that stage the biggest massacre in the world or something like that. And – the, they brought the, the – this is when the conspiracy theories come in because the laws were changed two weeks later. And people say, oh, well, how could this guy was simple shoot so many people? I, I believe he did it. But, but the, the thing is they caught the guy. He's now in prison and all that type of stuff. But the big thing was I remember it distinctly happening. The Australian government said no more guns and the Australian public as, as unison went, yeah, all right. There was not a fight and that's the big difference. Big, yeah. That's the huge difference because there was – Gun sales didn't go up. People didn't start stockpiling them and stuff like that. People didn't get ready as a militia to to fight against a tyrannical government and then blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we're also – Australia's a country where people don't have bomb shelters and waiting for Armageddon and I don't know. What's what's your perception of this country generally? Forget – put guns aside. I think – I think it's a great country. I, 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 uh, for the most part, I love America. I think, I think America does let you be who you want to be for the most part. And that's different than Australia. Different from Australia in the sense that the, and this is purely not Australia's fault, that, that um, a huge population allows you to um, express yourself and find commonality between you and other if, if you know what I mean Australia is very the diversity encourages Australia is a lot more one note yeah, for yeah. me than America more homogeneous yeah yeah, and uh, and not their fault it's just it's a small sample of people yeah. you know and but multicultural wise Australia is great you know the, the racism and all that type of stuff is is I would say on a par as America it's no worse or no better or whatever mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that America for me and my comedy I only need to tap 1% of this population to be a huge success. And I, I can't tap 1% of the Australian population to become a huge success. I think the religious thing in this country, um, I find it very bizarre that people could could say, 
oh, I believe in God and not have the realization that because you grew up in a certain bit of this country, there's a much more bigger likelihood that you're going to believe in a certain type of God, like if you're a Mormon or something in Utah. Like, doesn't that seem bizarre? Can't you see that, that it's just a birthright? It's nothing more. It's, it's the same. We vote the same as our parents for the first couple of elections of our lives before we make our own decisions, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I voted for the same people my father voted for because he always told me they were the good guys. Was that a very conservative? Yeah. Yeah. Are, uh, you, are you American citizen now? No. No, but yeah. my child is, and my my girlfriend. Are you uh, going to become? I will as soon as I can. Yeah, I don't. I I, I would become an American as soon. So as you're so. here. You're just. I'm, you're I'm here. here. Yeah, you're I can. Roots. I can still tour Australia. I can still tour um, uh, the UK, which is probably where my career was at its biggest. Was in the UK. I I I would. Um, I I didn't. Well, I won't say I got sick of living in England. I have very fond memories of the UK. Um, Where do you see yourself in five years? I'm here in America. But doing what? More television, more comedy, um, musical comedy? See, this is the thing. Where would I like to be and where do I see myself? Where I see myself is probably just touring. I don't think. So I think th- that's the, to you, that's the most satisfying experience. Is, well, is, no, it is, but I would like to do movies. I just don't think that will happen for movies. me. I don't think that will happen. And I would like to do something like musical theater, but I think I've made too many poor taste jokes about rape and stuff to ever be able to get into that fold. Although I'm optimistic when I watch, every time people watch Eddie Murphy do a shitty movie like Daddy Daycare, I'm opt- I feel a little glow. I'm like, alright, he can do kids films. What would your We've age- all forgotten about Delirious, have we? Everyone's forgotten about the really bad AIDS references, about AIDS being on your lips. Alright, fine, cool, we're doing kids movies. Okay, break, then we'll come back with some calls very quickly. <laughs> I want to mention our friends at Bergamot Sport, a supplement that provides all the cardiovascular benefits of the original Bergamot, but with additional additives designed to aid athletes and those with active lifestyles. Bergamot Sport is recommended and used by professional and college athletes throughout the world, helps them improve stamina, reduce recovery time, and muscle inflammation. Bergamot Sport is informed sport certified, so athletes can feel confident that it's all natural and it has been banned substance tested. But even if you're not a pro athlete or just getting a workout once a week or so, Bergamot Sport is still worth a try. It can help you work out harder, recover easier, without worrying about being sore or tired the next day. I've used the products myself. I've recommended them to patients. We use them in our family. And I've done so just as physicians and cardiologists around the world have done. And Bergamot Plus is excellent for what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which has just passed all other forms of liver disease in terms of causing cirrhosis. So it's something that is... So it's something that is a major health issue presently and needs to be paid attention to. For a limited time, our listeners can save 10% on their order by entering code DRDREW at checkout. That is D-R-D-R-E-W, all one word. Try Bergamot Sport for yourself. Visit bergamot.com, that is B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T.com, or just click the Bergamot banner at drdrew.com. So here with Jim Jeffries. Interesting conversation. We're going to switch over to phone calls right now. Jim, you just help me out with some of these calls, right? Sure. Uh, oh, by the way, you've been on Stern. No, I, 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 I don't know if I'm allowed or whether allowed. I'm not. Well, the thing is, I've been on Opie and Anthony ever since I got to America. They were the first guys to ever uh, support me find and you, yeah. find me. And I was, I did a support gig for Dennis Leary, and they had me on the radio show the next day. And I, I know that those two radio shows don't get along, and so I've just never made the inquiry. Because I don't, I, I think it'd wanna, be good for you. I didn't want to piss the guys off, hmm. but I, you know, I'm sure he doesn't have any problem with me. You know? No, I think it'd be good for you. All right, Justin, what's going on? You're 35. Hey, Drew. Hey, Jim. 
Hi. Uh, how's it going? Uh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yep, yeah. we got you. Oh, okay. Um, I, um, I lost my virginity to a prostitute, um, and I'm 35, and I've only had two serious relationships since then. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, Drew, like, if and how that could be affecting my relationships, and uh, I don't know if I need to do something about it. Well, if you were 11 or something, I see how it could affect things, but how old were you? 15. That's a little young. Oh, that's, that's very young. young to be saying. Jim Jeffries telling you that, Justin. I, <laughs> so yeah, that. Yeah, could... I, feel like, I feel like I called in on the perfect show. <laughs> was she? Was she? Uh, was she a, a lot older? Was she? I don't know why I'm asking this, but was she a, a very old prostitute? Was she like early twenties? What was she? No, she was definitely like into her thirties, probably, and uh, not very attractive. Right. Well, that can hurt things. Yeah, when you get a, sort of these overwhelming experiences, particularly under the age of 16, it, it can uh, affect you. But usually things like sort of sexual compulsions develop. You had anything like that? I'm sorry? You had any sexual addictions or compulsions? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I still see prostitutes quite a bit, and I would so, say my yeah. sexual appetite is very All right. large. All right, so like, there, there you go. So there you go. So So this really is sort of in the sex addiction category. Um, you might want to go online to a website, sash, S-A-S-H dot net, and look at some of the material there and take some of the screening instruments to see if you sort of measure up to bona fide sexual addictions. Get okay. some of the reading that's available there. They also have referrals for really good therapists that are, are uh, trained to deal with this kind of stuff. I, I think in there, I mean, the reason, I, I, I'm sure it's not just that you saw a prostitute at 15. I mean, what circumstances set you up for that and what your relationships were like with your parents early in life, what these two, quote, serious relationships have been like and how you functioned in them, all that kind of needs to be examined. But, but you're 35 and you want to have a real relationship. It's time. And I think you need some treatment to be able to do that. Jim, you are you? Do you have a tumultuous relationship history, or um, I've had a lot of serious uh, relationships. Good ones, um, yeah, yeah. I've had yeah. some so good you, ones. So you yeah. have, I mean, again, but I've, I've had my own problems with uh, sexual addiction. I've spoken to you off off mic about before, and I'm I, I'm I go to uh, SAA at the moment. Good. Congratulations, yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. It, it's stuff that when people get to it, it's very poignant material. It's very very tender mm. stuff that people have to get into and look at. And uh, I, I, you know, people have such a casual attitude about sexuality these days. It's like, hey, maybe he's just into whatever, mm. or it's a, hey, whatever you're into, yeah, whatever you're into. But it, it kind of there's meaning there, and it gets in the way of people's relationships. And you have to really kind of look at stuff. It's the it's the hurting others is the bit that I try to avoid. I'm not that worried about hurting myself as much. It's the well, but I, I, well, would, I know, but it's all part and parcel. That's, that's right. That's the it whole, goes that's together. The whole thing. You, you, yeah. uh, you're, you're, uh, on the outside, you're not worried about it, but you end up. Yeah. Worrying about it. Hmm. Uh, let's see. This is uh, Ben. Ben, what's up? Yeah. I was, hey, Doctor Drew. I was hey, just asking you what your best advice would be for someone who wanted to go into working with addicts and addiction. Uh, from what perspective? As a recovering person, or as a physician, or as a therapist? No, I'm in. I'm in school right now, and I'm applying to grad school next semester. So probably as like a, you know, a counselor or a physician standpoint. What are you going to grad school in? I'm sure I'm applying next semester. Um, trying to apply somewhere in the LA area. No, no. What What are you applying? What field are you applying to graduate school in? Psychology. Psychology. So you want to be a clinical psychologist? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that's your you a focus on that training. You know, be as get get as in depth and as comprehensive a training as you possibly can in your field of 
clinical psychology. And the expertise you develop there is everything you will bring to the field of addiction. In terms of addiction recovery, uh, you want to work in abstinence-based programs, which are highly populated by people who are in recovery. Because if you're not a recovering person, it's a very different brain you have to get on. You have to not trust your patients. You have to learn to understand that no matter what the patient's telling you, it's because they want to use drugs. And if you're not in that motivational state yourself, you've got got to have other recovering people around you reminding you, reminding you, reminding you. And eventually, after years of working with addicts, you'll get a sensitivity and an instinct for what they're experiencing. And that ability to attune to them on a deep level and be compassionate for that brain that's saying always use, always use, always use and can't be truthful to self and others, that ability to connect through all that can be very, very powerful. Taylor, what's up? Hi. Um, I'm just wondering what behaviors for a therapist are acceptable and not acceptable because I feel like I've Don't, They can't have sex with their patients. Yeah, it's the same as general life, really. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a good point. I mean, my old one, I had to stop seeing him because he would start crying when I'd bring up anything traumatic. And I, I just felt like that could have been a little bit weird. Well, um, it, it may be for you. I, I, in and of itself, I can't say, oh, that's wrong. But maybe for you, that was too much. Okay. Maybe for others, that would I, – I think that shows that the guy cares. I don't know. See, if Jeff, Jim and I would want a therapist that did that because if, yeah. if I felt like I was crying and have somebody sort of feel that pain with me, yeah. it would be very power, powerful. For you, maybe it's uncomfortable or overwhelming. And part of the job of therapist is intuiting what that patient needs. And so he missed that cue for you. All right. I mean, I I saw I'm, I've been seeing a new one, and I told him about this guy that wouldn't stop calling me, and he said, "Do you want me to take your phone right now and call him for you and tell him to stop?" I mean, is that the line? I, the the idea is not over the line. The execution is over the line. In other words, if you know, if I may need to contact law enforcement about this guy is sort of the right execution. If indeed the guy is that inappropriate. Other than that, you should be handling it yourself. Okay, that, yeah, that he's makes just sense. In, Taylor, just, I haven't called you that much, all right? Bloody are you giving Jim a message here? Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Is this something you want us to talk about here? Um, no, I mean, I, I'm just curious if that was okay or not. I was just worried. I, I just want to make sure I find a good therapist. Yeah, well, you know, the, I think the really important thing is to tell your therapist when something happens uncomfortable. Don't be afraid to say anything in that room. If you are editing or fearful, then there's already a problem, and you have to feel safe enough to be able to put anything in there. And if what gets you, what comes back, makes you feel unsafe, well, then that may be the time. The problem, the tough thing is that people that jump around to therapists never get what they need. You got to uh-huh. dig deep with one person for a long time. Right. But, uh, but of course, that's got to be the right person. I understand that's tough. Yeah. All right, Taylor. Thanks for the call. All right. Thank you. Okay. This poor guy just dropped off the line. It's been a hole for an hour. I was just going to get to him. But let me let the mic on line three. If you want to try to get him back, I, poor guy. Let's, let, me, let me talk to Davis. He's been on hold nearly as long. Davis, New York, 33. What's up? Hey, Dr. Drew. How are you doing? Good. What's happening? I, uh, my girlfriend and I are contemplating a move out to California. From New York? Uh, from New York. New York City? I work or in some other part the of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I work as a sommelier in the city, but I want to get into winemaking. She really wants to support that, 
But in the past year since we started uh, doing this, I found a job where I'm actually making a lot of money, yeah. and I enjoy it. I still want to get into winemaking, but I kind of want, kind of want to stay another year and uh, keep making money. Yeah. And she wants to get out there as soon as humanly possible. No, you. But better. she doesn't have a job set up. No, yet. no, make money and save. It's expensive. What's, what's the job that you got? That's uh, making I work money. as a male prostitute. Uh, working as a <laughs> exactly working as the beverage director for a uh, small restaurant on the Lower East Side. It seems like that would be. Isn't that a curly way of saying bartender? <laughs> I, no, I used to say I was a drinks distribution officer. <laughs> no, at some places it can definitely be that. No, we're a small little like eleven seat omakase sushi restaurant. I put together all the sake and the wine, and wow. uh, all right, yeah. Well, did you see that movie Som S O M M? Davis? Yeah, I used to work for Dustin Wilson. I was at 11 Madison Park. It's this crazy movie about how to become a master sommelier. Is that for real, or is that some of that sort of reality show tweaked? No, that is completely 100% for real. It is one of the most intense exams out there. I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, it's wild watching these people go through this. Is this to make wine? It's to become a master sommelier. Literally to be able to uh, virtually be able to identify any wine in the world. And what, the, what year, what vineyard, who, who runs the vineyard, what, what region, what the history of the I've region I've had about is three crazy. glasses of wine in my whole life. I don't, I don't like it. Not a wine person. No, I just uh, – it makes my jaw like locked, like it tingles like pins and needles in my jaw. I don't know what that is, but it's, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. Well, Dave will bring oh, it that would be the acidity, yeah, but I understand when people don't like it. I don't, don't try and get people to drink it who don't want it. I mean, there's plenty of great beer and whiskey out there in the world as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I know a lot about beer and vodka. I'm very particular about vodka and I'm very particular about beer. So, Davids, I think you, you want to have a secure base before you come out here. It's terribly expensive out here. And I know you live used to living in the city, which is equally as bad. But if you can save up before you come, I, I would definitely do that. And plus, isn't it cheaper here than Manhattan? It, it is a little bit. But it gets if you're, you wouldn't want to work in a winery, too. I mean, he's going to have to go up to Napa. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a big pay cut like for me. But she thinks that she's got uh, – she does make a decent living right now as what, well. What skill sets has she, she got in the workforce? What does she do? What does she do? She works in HR, and she has okay. a couple of names at Google and Facebook. Yeah, but you're you're talking about California is you know, you're talking about San Francisco. Yeah, really. twelve hundred miles across. Where, yeah. where, where are you going to live? Want to live in the Bay Area because I'd be closer to where probably she would wind up working and give me the ability to commute in and out. No, you're still a long way, long way away from the wine country. I mean, you could, I guess, but man. You should open a vineyard in Google. They've got a lot of space there. <laughs> well, I, I would just say whatever you do, make sure it's you know, certain before you come out here. And I, why? And what's the hurry? You guys are young. Why rush it? How do you know they're young? Well, they're thirty-three. I mean, oh, see, I didn't know. I didn't become know you a yeah, vitologist. I mean, you, got, you got time. Time's on your side. And I would say, you know, if you've got something you like that's that's helping you save now, to a year, do this systematically. Don't do it impulsively. All right. I appreciate that. By the way, it was easy sitting online and being on hold that long because, uh, Jim, you're fantastic on your show. And oh, I've been listening you. to you since I was 16. Wow. So uh, it's always fun to just sit back and listen. Thanks, Dave. And before we sort of wrap up, is there anything, first of all, pe- you want people to know about you that we've not covered? Um, no, I, I look, I, I think uh, I don't, I, I don't, I think I'm a pretty open sort of bloke. I don't think there's anything that I'm hiding, really. It, but, it, but it is, I, I totally agree with you, but I think that I learned a ton today right. about your musical training and about your artistic sensibilities and 
in you know and and also what motivates you to create some of the television you create right uh, to me that's important well for me the tv it, it's got to be funny first of all that's that's the whole thing but life is funny people yeah, are funny people are funny, people yeah. are funny. and and and, <laughs> and I, I think in being unvarnished about I, that i'll I tell you what the the i'm not a very sentimental sentimental sort of guy i don't keep a lot of things but the Nick Daly, the guy, the guy who who plays Rodney in the show, his mother wrote me a card at the end of the show, which it's touched me more than anything. That what did it say? It was basically, it was it was just um, that he looked forward to being on the show every day, and he, he the thing is, the guy's got a bigger acting record than me, but it's always playing the sanctimonious disabled kid who on seventh heaven who's being picked on at the school or a hallmark movie where they've got a bunch of them just you know what i mean and and my biggest fears when we started the show was that when we made him say certain things and do certain things i thought i thought i wonder what his parents think and i i never met him and on the last day we had a rap party and the mother came and she put a she put a card in my pocket and i thought uh here it comes here it comes and uh and she said uh she said the way he feels about you and the way that you have treated my son and everything um she goes just based on that you're going to be a wonderful dad wow and and that 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 was the nicest thing someone's ever said to me i think uh jim jeffries thank you dr drew appreciate you having me yeah i i appreciate being here jim so jimjeffries.com at jim jeffries at twitter and i'll see you next time Remember, you can find all these podcasts at drdrew.com. The Dr. Drew podcast, the This Life podcast, and the Adam and Drew podcast, which is available five days a week. Find them all on iTunes and rate us five stars. Subscribe and get it first. And if you're really happy, click on the Amazon banner at drdrew.com to help support the show. We'll thank you for it. If you join the email list via drdrew.com slash contact, we'll send you a weekly infusion newsletter with Dr. Drew's news. We're so grateful when you get in touch. We read all your emails and we'll bring you the subject matter you want to hear about. You live.